Amen. Good morning, church. Come on, church. Good morning. Man, we're glad that you are here this morning, and uh, today we're going to continue in our series called Reset. And so kind of the heart behind this series, Reset, is very, very simple. It's the idea that anytime we begin a new year, oftentimes we get to that place where we want to reset some things in our life, right? You maybe maybe commitments you made, different things, and I thought, well, what, what if we do that same thing for our lives spiritually? Maybe there's some things in our lives spiritually that we need to reset. If we're going to live 2023 in a way that's honoring and pleasing to the Lord, is there some areas that we need to reset in our lives to make that happen? So last week we started with this idea of focus. We talked about what if we reset our focus on the Lord? We looked at a story of these two sisters, Mary and who was the other one? Martha, Mary and Martha, and one was concerned about the urgent things, Martha, and one was concerned about the most important thing, Mary. And as we look at life, the challenge last week was this, our focus has to be, listen, our focus has to be on the important things, not the urgent things. Well, Doug, are you saying that the urgent things need to be just thrown out the window? No, no, no. Urgent things still have to be addressed. Like your house payment's still coming. You still got to make that. But at the end of the day, my point is when we so focus on the urgent things and we begin to neglect the most important thing, which is spending time with the Lord, man, it's going to fracture us spiritually. It's going to impact our walk with Christ. So last week we said we need a reset button for our focus. Today, I want to talk about another reset. And I'm just going to be honest out of the gate. For some of you, this might be really offensive. I mean, not because I've said something offensive, because what you're going to have to do based on God's word could be something you're like, I don't know if I want to do that. You ever, had, you ever heard a read passage of scripture and you walked away from it going, I don't know if I want to do that. Anybody ever been that way? I mean, I have. Today, I want to talk about resetting our inputs, things that we input into our lives. Now, we have a lot of things we input, don't we? Movies, music, magazines, critical voices, right? There's a lot of things we input into our lives. And here's the thing about your inputs, and I want you to hear this. One thing about our inputs that we all know is that things that we input into our life, they greatly impact our heart and they impact our minds. Amen, church? Amen. It impacts us. Now, I know some of you are like, well, I don't think it, it affects me. You're wrong. Not because I said you're wrong, but because Jesus said you're wrong. Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever you let into your life, guess what? It's coming out. It's coming out in attitude. It's coming out maybe in actions. It's coming out in behavior. It's coming out in a lot of different ways. But whatever we allow into our lives, it is coming out. And so we've got to take a hard look this morning and take a real look at it. What are some of the things that we're inputting into our life? And quite frankly, and most importantly, what is the primary thing we should be inputting into our lives that we're not? Can you take a wild guess at what the most important thing that we should be inputting into our lives is? It's God's Word, right? It's the one thing that many of us struggle doing all the time, struggle reading our Bible, getting God's word into our lives, because, you know, and I've heard, listen, I've heard every excuse in the book, and quite honestly, back in the 80s and 90s, I might have felt a little bit of empathy for you, but in the world we live today with blue letter Bible and you version and all the things that are out there today, there's no reason to say, well, I just don't understand it. Well, get some helps. It's out there. One of the greatest inputs every single one of us, including this guy needs in my life over everything else is the Word of God. So the question I want us to answer today is, why is the Word of God something so valuable to put into our lives? If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of Psalms. Psalms 
chapter 19. Turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 19, and I'm going to ask you to stand one more time in honor of reading God's word. Psalms chapter 19. I love this passage. I just want you to hear it. Psalms chapter 19. I'm going to begin reading in verse 7. This is the Psalm of David. The law of the Lord is what? Perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is what? Sure. Making simple the wise simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, a dripping of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern the errors, declare the innocent from the hidden faults? Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let him not be dominion over, have the dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Listen to this. Here's David's conclusion. Therefore, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. God, I love you. I thank you for this passage, Lord, today. Would you open it to us in a powerful way? May we see the value today of why we should input your word over everything else. For it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, today, as we think about this, obviously, when we come to the end of the message, I'm going to challenge all of us of what are some inputs that we need to take and make outputs in our life? What are some things that we are allowing in? Now, I don't want you to be the holy roller in the room. We all can say there's areas of our life that we allow things in that we should not allow in. Can I get an amen from the church? Okay, nobody has arrived there. All of us are the same way. But what is the thing that should be the greatest input? Here's why I say that. If we will input the most important thing, it will prepare us to get rid of the things that we should not input, right? So why do we input the Word of God? There's three reasons. Here's the first one. Because it is powerful. The reason we should input the Word of God into our lives is because it's powerful. Now, you may not have enough room to write this down on your listening guide, but in these first three verses, I love what David does. David talks about the Word of God, and he, li- he gives six different titles for the Word of God. He gives six different characteristics of that title, and then he gives six different effects of that title as well. So the first thing he says is in verse 7. Look at verse 7 again. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect and reviving the soul. He says the law. He refers to God's word as law. Now that word law here in this particular passage isn't referring to the Mosaic law of the Old Testament. It's just referring to the overarching standards of how God wants mankind to live. So when we think about law, we've got to think about the overarching standards that God wants you and I to live. So he says the law is perfect. So the standards with which God wants us to live, and he's called us to live, and to operate under like how, what it means to love God, what it means to love people, all these standards that God has created, he says it is what? Come on, it is what? It's perfect. Now, I only know what this word means, not because I have achieved it, but because I know God is. He's perfect. That means complete and without flaw. Have you ever had a moment in your life when you were going through something and you read something in Scripture, and you're like, God, I I just don't think that fits. God, I just don't know that you understand. God, I'm just not sure that that's going to work here. The standards by which God calls us to live are 
perfect. The reason we don't think they're perfect is because we just don't like them. Talking about loving your enemies, praying for those who persecute you. I mean, just go on and on and on and on. When you look at Scripture, there's sometimes we back up and go, well, I don't know about that. Well, the truth is, the law of God, the standards by which God calls us to live, is absolutely perfect. It is flawless. It's complete. And it says it's reviving to the soul. In other words, when we take God's standard and we put it in our lives and we understand that it is perfect and that God is complete in what he's asked us to do, it can bring revival to our souls. Can you think of anything else that can revive your soul like the power of God's word? Because some of you, here's what I know about some of you, some of you have gone through some difficult times. Some of you have gone through some glorious times. And it's the power of the word of God oftentimes when we put it into our lives that reminds us that God is the God who gives and God is the God who takes away, but we can trust and depend because he's never going to let us down. Didn't you just sing that a moment ago? You're never going to let me down. You're never going to let me down. Do you believe that this morning? See, the reality is that it revives the soul, that when I put this in here, it does something to me. It causes a greater compassion in me. It causes a greater sympathy in me. It causes me want to, to get to that point where I want to live with him, for him in a powerful way. Why? Because the law, the standards of which God has called us to, they are perfect, and they'll revive your soul. So if you're hurting today, can I tell you where you can find comfort? Can I tell you where you can find the encouragement you need? It's in 66 books called the Bible. It's there. So David said that. And then David also gives another name for the Bible. He calls it a testimony. Look at me in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure and makes the wise the simple. He calls it a testimony. So God's word is not only his standard for how we live, but it's his testimony. For example, what does that mean? Well, here's what it means. If I ask Drew to come up here and share his testimony of how God has changed his life, Drew would be kind of giving self-revelation to, here's what God's done in my story. Here's how God has impacted my life. Do you know that God's word is the story of him? Did you know that? This is not, this is, now, it doesn't go all the way to eternity past because... There's not enough pages to write about that one. But when God intervened and created creation up to the point where God is going to take us home, this is the story of God. And he says, this is my testimony. And not only is it my testimony, it's not only the story of me, but it is sure. That word sure means it is trustworthy. You can count on it. You can bank on it. You know, when I was a kid, one thing that my mom used to always say was, when you make a promise, you better keep your word. Anybody ever been told that? Can we agree today I can promise you something? And most time when people promise you something, you don't expect really anything in return because that word means nothing anymore, right? God's saying, listen, this book is my testimony. And I promise you it's trustworthy. You can trust it. And then here's what he says. He says, and it makes wise the simple. It makes wise the simple. Meaning those of us who don't know, we learn. Here's what I love about God's word. When you open the pages and you begin to read story after story after story, like the story that Abby talked about, Elijah, how God had provided for him. When you read those stories, here's what you find out. You find out about the character and nature of who God is. You find out that he is Jehovah Jireh, that he is the Lord that provides. He is Jehovah Rapha. He is the Lord who heals. Do you believe that God still provides today? Come on, do you believe that, church? Do you believe God still heals today? So is he still Jehovah Rapha and Jehovah Jireh? Yes, he is. How would I know that? Right there. You got to get it in your life. You got to get it. If we don't get this in, we're going to miss the testimony of God. 
We're going to miss the story of who he is and what he about, and most importantly, how desperately he loves you and I. He says God's word is a testimony. And then he says this in verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The precepts. The precepts means principles, doctrines, and truths. Principles, doctrines, and truths. One thing you may not know, that the Bible does not address every specific scenario known to humanity. It doesn't. There's not a thou shall not for crack cocaine. It's just not in there. You know I'm right, right? But are there principles? Are there precepts? Are there truths about the temple being, the, my body being a temple of the Holy Spirit that led me to the conclusion that crack cocaine is not for me? Is there principles there for that? Yes. And so when he talks about precepts, he calls God's word, knowing the law which can revive the soul, knowing a testimony that can get us to a place where it gives us wisdom, but he calls it precepts. Precepts, principles, and truths that God has given us to help guide our lives. And he says they are right. In other words, God is never going to steer you wrong. Let me talk about a situation for a moment. Probably the hardest conversation I have with a lot of people is the issue of forgiveness. They've been hurt. Now, I'm not talking about saying forgiveness. I'm talking about really living out forgiveness. Right? I mean, anybody struggled with that before? I have. You know, I have a lot, I mean, but the end of the day is when I read God's word and Jesus says, if you do not forgive others, your heavenly father will not forgive you. That is a clear statement of Jesus. Doug didn't say it, Jesus said it. What he's saying is, if you have a heart that's unwilling to forgive someone who's hurt you, that means you've never received the forgiveness that I've given you. Because when you've received my forgiveness, you want to spread that to other people. I know you've been hurt. I know you've been done wrong. But at the end of the day, can any hurt that anybody brings on us be greater than the sin and the hurt that we've caused Almighty God? But he forgave us. Right? His word is right. The precepts, the principles, the truths of God's word always, 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 everybody say always, always. leads us down the right trail. And he says this. And it brings rejoicing to the heart. In other words, it just creates joy. When I follow what he said for me, when I recognize that his word is right and it's true, it just brings joy to the heart. You know, you know why? Come on, you know why? Here's something you maybe you haven't thought of. Here's what I love about God's word. Oftentimes, I don't have to think about a decision that needs to be made. I just go to God's word. Then my real weight is to respond positively and yes, or no, I'm going to live the way Doug wants to live. But as far as making the decision, I, 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 have, I have nothing to weigh out because when I look at it, I can go, okay, does it violate the clear teaching of Scripture? Yes or no? There's an answer. Does it harm my body, the temple of the Holy Spirit? Mm, maybe not. Maybe so. I know my answer. Does it cause my brother or sister to stumble in their faith? Well, maybe not. Okay, I know the answer. Is it something God can truly bless? I know the answer. So any decision we make, we can go to the precepts and the principles of God and have joy in our heart because he's already answered it. He's already guided us the right way. We just have to choose to respond accordingly. Because of precepts. And then he says, he calls it a commandment. Look at me in verse 8, the second half. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The word commandment means it's the idea of commands of God. It's not good ideas. It's not suggestions. It's moments when he says, thus saith the Lord. And there's some moments like that, right? 
Thus saith the Lord. Like when I talked about forgiveness, that's not a thus saith the Lord, but it's pretty much a thus saith Jesus. If you don't forgive, you're not going to be forgiven. I mean, there's a lot of that in Scripture. He says the commandments of the Lord are those moments that you read where he says, I am commanding you to do this. There's no negotiation. There's no loophole like your taxes. There is just, this is the way it has to be done. I want you to love God and love people. That means people that are unlovable, unlikable. You don't even talk. Still, you are called to love them. Thus saith Lord. And he says, it is pure. That word pure just simply means it's rightly motivated. It's rightly motivated. It's clear. Now, I know sometimes we like to read Scripture and go, well, I just don't know really what God means by that. I would say that's probably not often if we really thought about it. What we struggle with is our human flesh wanting to buck against what God wants us to do. But he says his commands are pure. They're rightly motivated. God has a desire when he tells us to live a certain way. You know why he tells us to do that? To provide for us. To protect us. Let me give an example. You remember all the way back in the garden when God told Adam and Eve, he says, you know, you you shall not eat from the tree in the middle of the garden or you will surely what? Die. And then the serpent comes along, Satan comes along and begins to manipulate the situation and basically sells Eve on this bill of goods. God is holding out on you, Eve. Yeah, if you eat it, you're going to know as God knows and God doesn't want you to know as he knows. And the truth is, he doesn't. God never wanted Eve to know the weight of what sin would do to the world. But she chose to do her own thing. God's commandment there was pure. Why? It was rightly motivated. Eve, I want to protect you. I want to provide for you, so don't eat from the tree. Have you ever done that with your kids? Like, why do you tell our kids not to touch the stove? Why do you tell your kids that? Some of you don't tell your kids that. Why do you tell your kids not to touch the stove? You'll get burned, right? Are you doing it because, oh, you know, Jason's holding out on Landon over there. Hey, Jason, you know, let Landon explore life. Okay. Is that, is that what he's doing? No. Is he protecting him? Yeah. Is he providing for him? Yeah. He says the, law, the commandments of the Lord are pure and they enlighten the eyes. Listen to me. There is no columnist. There's no news station. CNN, Fox News, whatever you want to say. There's nothing out there that will enlighten our eyes to the truth of the world that we live in like God's word. There's nothing. Nothing. And he says the commandment of the Lord is pure and it opens our eyes. What does it open your eyes to? The love of God. The love of God and the way he wants us to live. And then he calls it a fifth thing. I know we're on the first point, but he calls it a fifth thing, which I find really interesting. He says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. It's interesting that he would refer to the word of God as fear. This word fear here literally means something that provides reverence and awe and worship. When you read this word, when you read how God operates, does it create a sense of reverence, awe, and worship in your heart? When you read about how God used the voice of Israel to march around a city seven times on the seventh day and blow a trumpet and let out a shout, and that was the only weapon they had, and the walls come coming down, is there part of you going, my God is just that big, and I'm in awe, and I'm in reverence, and I respect, and I worship who he is because of what he's done? When you read the pages here, does it create a sense of reverence in you? And it should. He says, the fear of the Lord is clean. That word clean means God's word has a purifying effect on us. When you put God's word in, it has a purifying effect. In fact, why do you think the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 told husbands, husbands, wash your wife with the word. 
pour the word of God over your Why? Because it has a cleaning effect. It has a purifying effect on the soul. And he says, and it endures forever. You know, there's two things that live forever. The souls of man and what? The word of God. The word of God. The souls of man and the word of God live forever. And so that's what David calls the word of God, fear. Something that brings us to a point of reverence. And then the last one he gives in verse 9, he says, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The word rules here means God has given his verdict on everything already. That's what it means. God has laid out his verdict on humanity. God has laid out his verdict on how he's going to deal with sin. God has laid out his verdict on every single thing. When you read this book, what you find out and what you will know is that God has already laid out exactly his verdict on on everything. He's not going to pull one of those, gotcha, it's not going to happen. He's laid it out. And he says, God's rules are true. I want you to look at me for a moment. When David penned this in Hebrew, there was only one understanding to the word true. And it was that what God says is absolutely, positively, 100% true. We live in a world that doesn't say that anymore. So unfortunately, I have to add this adjective to it, that the rules of the Lord are absolute truth. That when you come to this book, it is absolute truth. What does absolute truth mean, Doug? It means it's constant, it's universal, and it is eternal. It's exactly what God's word is. It's constant. Does God ever change? Come on, church. Does God ever change? No. It's constant. It's universal. Is it for everybody? Yeah. And is it eternal? It is. Now, why am I saying this? Because what David wanted to create, and everybody who would read this, is the value of inputting God's word into our life is because it's powerful. There's nothing that can revive the soul like God's word. There's nothing that can give you wisdom like God's word. There's nothing that can give you a joy like putting God's word into your life. There's nothing that will open your eyes to the truth of the world we live in and to your life like God's word. There's nothing that will endure forever other than the souls of man. There's nothing that is altogether righteous except God's word. Why? Because it is God's word. It's righteous. So why should we input God's word into our life? Because it's powerful. Do you believe that this morning, church? Man, I hope so. And I love, and maybe you need to go home and read that. David just lays it out, doesn't he? It's just beautiful. It's like law. It's a testimony. It's precepts. It's command. It's fear. It's rules. And let me give you a second reason why we shouldn't put God's word into our life is because it's not only, it's not only powerful, it is priceless. Number two, it is priceless. Look with me in verse 10. More to be desired are than any gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Here's what David says. The reason we should input God's word into our life, not only because it's powerful, but it's priceless. Did you pick up on the two things he said? He says more valuable than gold and it's sweeter than honey. Did you see that? Think about that. The most prized possession you can have is this. Not your 401k. Not your savings account. Not a specific relationship. The most prized possession any of us can have in our lives is the very word of God. It's worth more than gold. You believe that? And he says it's sweeter than honey. 
Now, here's what David's saying. He said, the greatest possession you can have is God's word. The greatest pleasure you can have is God's word. Because when I open the page of God's word, it reminds me of a love for humanity, a humanity that has rebelled, a humanity that robs God, a humanity that discards God. But God says, I still love you. I know you've blown it. I know you've walked away. I know you kind of blaspheme my name, but I want you to know I still love you. I care for you, and I'm willing to take you back. It's the greatest possession, and also it's the greatest pleasure we could ever have in our lives, and that's God's Word. Because when we read it, we discover the heart of God, the mind, the will, and the heart of God. And then he says one more thing, the last point. Why should we put God's Word in our life? Because it's powerful, it's priceless, and here's the last thing, because it's profitable. Look at me in verse 11 through 13. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. When can discern, who can discern his heirs? Declare the innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant from uh, presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Here's what he's saying. God's word is profitable for us. It provides warning and it provides reward. Right? When you read God's word, you have to walk away understanding that sometimes when you read it, it's like, okay, if I go down this path, it's a warning sign. If I go down this path of letting my lust control my life or letting greed control my life, I know where that's going to end because God's word warns me of that. But when I follow God's word, it provides reward. Reward because I, when I follow him in a life of obedience, what does that produce? Blessing, right? He said, listen, God, the word of God is profitable for all of us because it warns us. It also rewards us. But then he says, it's like a mirror to our heart. Go back to verse 12. Who can discern his heirs? Declare the innocent from the hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. In other words, he said, listen, the word of God is like a mirror into your life. When you read it, it causes you to reflect on your own life. It not only warns us and rewards us, listen, it reveals some things in us. And hear me on this. Some secret sins. Some things that maybe we think we've gotten away with. So yes, God's word is powerful because it transforms. Yes, God's word is priceless because it's our greatest possession and it's our greatest pleasure. But God's word is profitable. It will warn you where not to step and where not to go. It will warn you if you live this way, this is what's going to happen. But it also rewards those who obey. And it reveals some things in your heart. If you're struggling, let God's word be that mirror into your life to reveal maybe sin or maybe doubt or maybe struggle that you're going through. Let it reveal some things in you. That's why David said, search me, O Lord, and see if there's any offensive way in me. God, have insight. Take over. That's what David's saying. So why in the world should we input God's word into our life? Because it is powerful, because it is priceless, and because it's profitable. Do you believe that this morning, church? And if you really believe it, that means that we need to push the reset button on our inputs. I really believe this morning, if you want to input, if you want to reset the inputs in your life, listen to the last verse. I believe this is the heart of David. This is the heart of someone who wants God's word to be input into life. Listen to what he says in verse 14. This is his conclusion. But the words of my mouth... And the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. How is it acceptable? By putting God's word in there. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, this morning, 
How do we do it? If you really understand that we've got to put input the word of God into our life and take some other things out, how do we do it? Let me give you four simple things. Please write these down. And they're so simple, but let me just tell you what they are. Number one, if you're going to input God's word into your life, number one, read it. Read it. And I know some of you are like, you know, well, Doug, well, today, do you have a reading plan for us? I don't. If you do the Bible reading plans, those are awesome. Like, if you're trying to get through it in a year, I've done that before. But I, I view it a little differently for me. Like, I like D.L. Moody's quote. He says, scriptures were not given for just information, but for transformation. And I'm kind of a slow reader, so I like to read and just dissect scripture. I've read through the Bible. I've read the New Testament, the Old Testament. But I find myself now in my readings, and I just hone in on one passage. However you want to do it's fine, but just read it. Like, where do I start? Well, I can tell you. January 29th, we're going to begin a 16-week series going through the book of Galatians. Man, an incredible book of the Bible. Start there. We're going to get there. It's going to take us a long time to go through it, but just start there. We're going to be going through the book of Galatians. So read it. Second of all, meditate on it. Now, here's what I mean. I don't mean read a passage and you go, Lord, what does this mean to me? Ah, wrong answer, wrong question. Lord, what does this mean, period? What did it mean to the original author? What did it mean to the original hearers? And what does it mean for me today? Not like, hey, this verse means something different. No, no, no. For God so loved the world, that verse still means the same thing no matter how you slice it or dice it. It means that God loves humanity. So meditate on it. Read it. Don't just check it off your list, but go, God, I want to meditate on it. Third thing, memorize it. I tell you, one thing in our staff at Oviedo campus, all of Cross Life Oviedo and East Campus, we are working on memorizing scripture. You know the thing that you learned when you were a kid? And we're like, oh, this is whatever. But can I tell you how awesome it's been to learn to get back in Scripture and to memorize it? In fact, this week, I was, I was, I was driving down the road, and I was I'm trying to memorize some Scripture, and uh, God put this verse on the radio. This guy said, he's, I caught it at the tail end. He goes, yeah, that was 20, Psalms 27, 14. And I go, you know what? I want to read what 20, I don't know what it was about, but I want to read it. And that same day, I was going through some things that were weighing on me spiritually. And so I memorized it. You know what it says? Wait on the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart not be troubled. Wait on the Lord. Perfect for what I needed. And I just spent all week and I just meditated on it. Because waiting on the Lord doesn't mean just to sit back in my recliner, which I don't have one, kick my feet up, my feet up, feet, feet up, and just chill out. It means just to continue to trust God. He's got it. You believe he's got it? I mean, I needed that. So read it meditate on it, memorize it, and last of all, do it. Do it. Jesus said it best. He who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. He who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his life on the sand, right? Do it. So this morning, I just want to share this with you. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, can I tell you what the greatest input in your life is? It is still this. Because when you open the pages of this, you're going to find out you're not the only messed up person in the world. You're not the only person that has a jacked up life, a home life. You're the only person that comes from a dysfunctional family. You're the only person that has rebelled against God in a powerful way. And when you open the pages, you're going to find that there's a God who's waiting there with open arms for you to come home. And to say yes, and to receive by faith what Jesus has done for you. This is the greatest input you need in your life. And if you're a believer... This is the greatest input you need in your life. Why? It's powerful. It's profitable. It's priceless. But I'm just going to tell you, 
Warning, warning, Rue Robertson, you ready? Warning, here it is. When you put this in, there's some other things you're going to have to start keeping out. And are you ready to do that? Let's all pray. Let's all stand together as we pray. God, I love you. I thank you for this morning, Lord. I thank you for the time we've had to come together as the body of Christ. I thank you for my church family. But God, I pray as we think about resetting some things in our lives spiritually, that one of those has to be our inputs. What are we allowing into our lives? It is impacting us. And God, all of us need to think about that. None of us are above the notion. I mean, none of us are at that point where, we, where it truly doesn't affect us. This just doesn't happen. So maybe we guard our inputs. But more importantly, Lord, where we start focusing on inputting the most important thing, which is your word. And God, we saw through the heart of David how your word is powerful. He used all these different titles to describe your word. All these different characteristics. All these different effects. Which lead us to this conclusion. Only your word through you can transform the lives of humanity. We need your word in our lives. God, it's powerful. And then I pray for some of us believers who realize that it's, it's priceless. It is our greatest possession. It is our greatest pleasure because when we read it, we're reminded that we are not forgotten. We are not marginalized. We are not discounted. We are not overlooked. But we are loved, not just by anybody, but by the creator of the universe. But God, may we also know that it is profitable. This book warns, rewards, and reveals. So God, I pray for believers today that we would simply come to a place where we would just say, you know what, Lord? I'm going to get rid of some inputs in my life, and I'm going to input your word into my life. God, can we make that commitment today? God, I pray for those who don't know you. Would they commit to inputting your word into their life? And God, if they need help, I would love to help them because when they read it, they're going to find out how much you love them. God, just be with us today. We love you, Lord. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen. This morning, if you want to come pray at the altar, man, it's, it's here, it's ready. If you're going through some junk and you need some people to pray for you, Pat and Willie are right over there. The curtains open up and Jason and Kelly are right over there. They would love to pray with you. But I'm asking you, as your brother in Christ, can you imagine what will happen in our lives spiritually and what will happen in our lives as a body of Christ if all of us in this room start inputting daily God's word into our lives? Can you imagine the revival that would break out in this place? Can you imagine the moments that we would have moving forward in worship and, and all in small groups? Can you imagine what God might do if a body of believers of about 200 or so said, you know what, every day I'm going to put this word into my life. Every day. Because here's what I know. When you put it in, it's coming out. It's going to come out in action and attitude and behavior. And I just believe God could just blow this place up. But it starts with us saying, I'm in. And I'm going to do it. So if you need to come pray and make that commitment, Lord, you can do it. Or you can do it right where you stand. But I want to challenge you. Would you say every day this year, for the rest of the year, I'm going to input the greatest possession and the greatest pleasure that I have in my life into my heart. So you make that decision today. Pray about that. Let the Lord lead you in that. And however he's leading you, would you be faithful to respond to it as the worship team leads us this morning?